Welcome to the Monash Musculoskeletal Research Unit podcast, where we discuss and translate the latest musculoskeletal research to help you keep up to date and improve patient outcomes. My name's Luke Perrett, and I'm a physiotherapy educator and early career researcher in Monash MIU and in the Department of Physiotherapy at Monash University. So in this first episode of the podcast, we had a conversation, uh, myself and Associate Professor Peter Maliaris, that is, from our research group about a research paper. So Peter's one of the co-hosts of the podcast, but he's also an internationally recognized musculoskeletal researcher and clinician specializing in tendinopathy. So Peter and I spoke about the ICON or international consensus paper of which he's a co-author, which is a consensus statement on the most important health related domains for tendinopathy that we should be including in future research and when appropriate in the clinic. So this is a topic that would be of interest to musculoskeletal researchers, clinicians and students, and it's also really relevant for people with tendinopathy. So you can find a link to the paper in the show notes or the video description if you're watching the video version, and I'm sure you'll really enjoy the conversation and the content. But let us know though, let us know what you think. You can find us on Twitter at MonashMRU, and if you found the episode helpful, you can help other people by getting this information out to them by sharing the episode online and subscribing wherever you get your podcast from. And now on with the show. Hello, everybody. Welcome to the Monash Musculoskeletal Research Unit podcast. My name's Luke Perriton, and we're joined here with Associate Professor Pete Maliaris, and we're both from Monash University. Hey, so Luke, how are, you, how are you doing today? How are you doing? Very, very good. Yourself? Yeah, not bad. Not bad, mate. Uh, end of a uh, end of a longish week, so good to um, good to have it almost over. I say that, even though I'm probably going to be writing my grant most of the weekend, but that's okay. It's still never the end the of the week. <laughs> even if you're writing a grant, it still is the weekend. It's best not to think about that, is it? Just exactly. The, exactly. The work never ends, but we're um, we're really excited here with it to bring you this podcast content. So we've been working hard over the last few years to set up a research group with some emerging um, researchers, PhD students, and we've got some content here coming up that's going to be hopefully of great interest to you as the listener and we're really looking forward to jumping into it today we're going to be talking about icon 2019 we're going to be talking about tendons and tendinopathy which makes sense with peter being a tendinopathy expert and if you don't know peter peter has a clinic here in melbourne he specializes in treating people with tendinopathy and he's an associate professor at monash university and researches tendinopathy and tendinopathy management and mechanisms of why people get tendinopathy. Really interesting stuff. And he's a co-author on the paper that's called ICON 2019, International Scientific Tendinopathy Symposium Consensus. And there's a long list of co-authors with who's who of tendinopathy on the list. And it's headed by Bill Vincenzino from University of Queensland. So the first question that I had for you, Pete, was, just for everybody who may know this paper already, or for those who are um, who haven't heard of it before, can you tell us all about the group? So the, the group who are involved with this paper, 
and their goal of the paper and the goals of the group in general? Yeah, sure. So ICON stands for International Consensus, and it's an international group that has been formed to try and progress the science and clinical practice in tendinopathy, basically. So uh, for the patients listening, it's all about trying to make sure that we are measuring tendinopathy properly and with the right outcomes. And for the clinicians and researchers, it's really focused on trying to make sure that we're doing things in an evidence-informed way with you know the diagnosis all the way through to outcome assessment um, so uh, the group formed uh, basically by just um, there's, a, there's a core steering group of the icon and they formed the group it's Bill Vizincino and a few other people they formed the group initially based on people's track records and expertise in tendinopathy and um, then um, they invited lots of other people. I think there's 27 people from around the world. Basically, all the continents are represented. And um, yeah, we've we've sort of got together to try and address those objectives so far. Mm. All right, so a question, before we go into the details of the paper, a question that some people may have who are listening to this, um, who may not have had a tendinopathy before, or they may not be a clinician specialising in tendinopathy or seeing people with tendinopathy too often, what is tendinopathy? Yeah, look, it's a, it's a good question. The the, uh, the easiest uh, way to define tendinopathy is that it's a, a clinical um, it's a clinical diagnosis that is uh, characterised by pain uh, and also dysfunction. So people tend to have pain that is uh, in and around their tendon, and they also have to have uh, they also um, tend to have a, a impairment in function, and it could be. Uh, it could be uh, their walking is affected, or some some of their movement is affected, uh, and that's that. That really is uh, is tendinopathy. It's a it's a it's a it's a, it's a painful um, a, a tendon problem. Uh, tends to be sometimes referred to as an overuse problem, and people might have heard that term overuse because it. And the reason for that is it is. Um, uh, one of the main contributors to tendinopathy is activity. So if you uh, do a lot of activity too quickly, that that seems to be one of the main risk factors. So that's why it's referred to as an overuse problem. So, you know, a lot of people have had the experience of starting a new sport or new activity or, or you know, starting something new. And that that is a real, you know, risk factor for developing something like tendinopathy because you're sort of starting to use your body and load it in a way that it's maybe not used to. Um, and uh, that's, uh, that's, uh, that's when tendon injuries may, may manifest. Mm. And as a clinician and as a patient, it be, they can be really difficult to treat and they can go for many months or even years. And I imagine you see people who have had tendinopathy for, for a short time, for a long time as well. Yeah, absolutely. It's really tricky to treat. They are. They are. They can be, you know, sort of a few weeks. They can be a few years or lifetime type things. Yeah, um, there's a reason why you, you specialise in them and others specialise in just this condition. And there's a reason why we're talking about a whole consensus paper on the condition as well. So yeah. th that's a nice segue to the paper. So let's talk about the ICON consensus statement. So why is it important and what's it about? And who is the audience of the paper? Who should be reading it, downloading it, and reading this paper? Yeah. 
Uh, I'll start with uh, basically what our main objective was for this paper, and it was to, um, to, to make sure that we're measuring tendinopathy the way that we should. Uh, and that's really, really important uh, from, a, from a scientific point of view, because when you're, uh, when you're trying to advance um, a scientific field, um, you need to uh, be able to um, gather all the evidence we have about that problem and put it together and tell us uh, and, and really sort of summarize it or, or pull all that evidence together. And that's what we do in systematic reviews. We pull the evidence together. And um, that's the highest level of evidence that we have when we have a lot of studies where we can pull. And um, uh, the problem with uh, uh, the sort of medical literature and tendinopathy is no different is that people measure things in very, very different ways. Um, so you might, if I, if I had a patient in the clinic um, and I wanted to know if they were getting better, um, I might ask them if um, you know their pain was better. Uh, whereas if you saw the same patient, you might ask them if their function was better. And if someone else saw the same patient, they might ask them if their quality of life was better. So, and all those things could change in different ways and give you a different response. So, um, so really the, the, the idea of the ICON core domains was to uh, speak to expert um, uh, clinicians and researchers, but also patients and uh, find out what they think are the most important outcomes that we should be measuring for tendinopathy. Uh, and we uh, basically went through a process, it's called a Delphi process, where we basically um, got together and um, uh, decided or reached consensus about which domains, um, which, which sort of, I guess you could say what type of um, outcomes, uh, what type of outcome groups that we should be measuring. So the domains were derived from 24 candidate domains and the ICON group deemed nine domains to be the core domain. So these were number one, patient rating of condition, participation in life activities, so day-to-day -day work, sport. Number three, pain on activity and loading, function, psychological factors, physical function, capacity, disability, quality of life, and pain over a specific time. And they're the, they're the domains. Are there any of those that you would like to elaborate on? Which ones should we focus most on perhaps as clinicians or as patients, or are they all equally important? Uh, which ones are, yeah. That's a good. That's a good. Uh, that's a good um, uh, question to go into, because um, there are nine. I mean, you know, as you say, there were twenty-four domains that we could have chosen, and uh, this group, this particular group of twenty-seven patients and clinicians, chose these nine domains. Um, now, uh, we think that these are important domains to measure if you're a clinician. Um, seeing a patient with tendinopathy or if you're doing research on tendinopathy. But it, uh, by, no way, uh, by no means are we saying you've got to measure all these domains every time you see a patient with tendinopathy because that just wouldn't be practical. And the same with research. Some, uh, some projects would uh, you know, benefit from some of these measures, others from others. And um, it, all we're saying is that this is the pool of domains that could be important. Um, and um, this is what patients and experts in the field have agreed on uh, that could be important, but uh, it's up to the individual clinician and 
researcher to then say, okay, so these are these are some of the ones that I want to measure with my patients. That's and a really important point, isn't it, about guidelines and consensus statements. And when they first started becoming more popular and coming out, they were um, they had a bit of a PR problem in terms of people understanding that they weren't just something that you had to apply and they were to guide and complement your mm. practice and, of course, the patient's values, weren't they? Absolutely. I, I think that the PR problem with uh, guidelines has continued, you'd have to say, um, because the... Um, yeah, the, the, the initial thing was, or the, the thing that probably still is is a thing, um, if we can say that, is that people think, um, you know, they have to follow them as you say and do nothing else. But also um, people tend to find them very hard to follow and implement. Mm. Um, so let's not go there. <laughs> what, are, what are some of the core... What are some of the domains that were voted by the group as not a core domain? And for those following the paper, I'm looking at table three. Yeah, uh, it's it, it's there was quite a few actually, and and I guess the background on that is that there had to be seventy percent consensus in the group, and we went through a couple of steps. First, there was a questionnaire. Uh, step where we agreed based on questionnaire and then there was a face-to-face -face meeting at um, at the sort of international tendinopathy conference that happens every couple of years and we had a face-to-face -face meeting there so uh, and we had to have consensus and some of the measures reached consensus at questionnaire but were kicked out at the face-to-face -face meeting and vice versa so um what we found was that things like um, generally a lot of the physical measures like um, uh, palpation, um, range of motion didn't make the cut. Um, and um, uh, some of the, another one that was interesting, and there was, a, there was a lot of agreement actually that palpation shouldn't make the cut. And I think that's, that's right um, because we know that people can be tender but have no problems at all, or people can tenderness can persist even when they're pretty much better. But um, other things that were very hotly debated were things like structure. So should we actually, and this is probably an important point for patients, should we be looking at, say, imaging and saying, okay, um, this person's got, um, you know, this sort of, you know, whatever it is, thickened tendon, um, should we use that as an outcome to see if the tendon gets back to normal again? And the, the consensus was that we shouldn't at this point because we don't have the strong evidence that actually the pathology does reverse um, in, in most people. Uh, but there was a lot of debate and it just narrowly missed out on the cut. It was 69%. It achieved oh, interesting. That. Okay. Yeah. So, so we, there's, we, we, we ended up forming a subgroup of the ICOD to look specifically now at structure and see um, uh, about the evidence to see if we can actually, uh, if it's warranted, to promote it to a to a call. And it, and it it goes on in the discussion to say there's a prevailing view at the consensus meeting that candidate domains that were voted not to be core domains may still retain use in the clinic, which supports yeah. what you're saying before. Yeah. So the mm -hmm. interpreting this as a clinician and as a patient, mm -hmm. as someone like myself who wasn't there and is not a tendon expert. As you said before, you're not trying to come up with the, a yes/no binary um, choice of what you should be doing in the clinic yeah, and what, exactly. what's important. It's actually yeah, um, exactly. more what's core 
and yeah. other things may be important with with mm. different people and there's a lot of variance between people yeah is no, that exactly. a fair statement it's a fair statement it's not uh it's not a sort of um it's not a sort of orwellian um you know you must do this type thing yeah. it's more um it's and as you said before with the uh clinical guidelines it's it's pretty it's we, we think I, th I guess the easiest way of describing it is uh, we think that you should be doing some of these outcomes but you're free to do other ones as well uh, but if you're doing just the other ones then maybe you should think about doing some of these as well mm. that's probably the easiest way but i i that when i sort of teach people on the courses that i do i often say to them you know who doesn't ask their patient what's the first question you ask your patient as soon as they come back in um, are you better worse or the same and that's one of our core domains so one of our core domains is um, uh, how do we phrase it participant patient rating of overall condition and you know that's a core domain so I would say that most clinicians are already adhering to one of the core domains and that mm. is you know, tell us are you better worse or the same uh, since last time I saw you Mm. Or, or a related question. I'm interested, start to finish, how long does a consensus statement like this take and how, how much, obviously a lot of work goes into it from a lot of people, international consensus statement. Yeah, look, that, um, and that, are they expensive to, to produce? Um, I compared can to a guideline or, or other forms of research. Yeah, I can answer that from the perspective of the Achilles subgroup. So what happened, the other thing that happened at ICON was that we formed subgroups and we formed subgroups for gluteal tendinopathy, for elbow, for shoulder, for Achilles, patella, et cetera. And I am co-leading with um, Karen Silbernagel and Robert Jan DeVos, the, the Achilles subgroup. Um, and we've, uh, and I can, so I know firsthand from that experience um, what it's taken to get that moving. And it is, a, it's a fair bit of work and it's all unpaid work. It's part of your, obviously your academic work, but uh, we've, we've met probably once a month pretty consistently for since ICON two years ago. And um, we have uh, produced a systematic review now for, um, Achilles outcome measures, and we're now going through the process of of mapping. And this is the next stage of ICOM. So now what we need to do is say, okay, for the Achilles, we know the domains for tendinopathy, but what are the actual outcome instruments or measures that should be in those domains? Mm -hmm. So now, so you've got, for example, pain and function as a domain or disability as a domain, uh, what outcome tool should we use? Should it be the visa uh, or should it be the something else? You know, which one is the best one or which ones are the best ones that uh, we can choose from? So that's the next step. Now that, uh, to answer your question, um, it's, it's, a, it's a lot of work and it's, um, but it's, it's, it's really rewarding because you feel like you're, um, you know, with, with a lot of uh, other people who are very interested in this area, moving, moving the, the field forward and trying to uh, contribute to the research um, uh, improving overall. I think, I think the reason we're all doing this is because we're frustrated by systematic reviews. Um, who hasn't done a systematic review? Uh, probably the clinicians and patients uh, 
who are listening to this probably haven't, but from the researchers who hasn't done a systematic review where they've had to not pull the data because all the outcomes are different. Um, you know, wouldn't it be great if people used uh, outcomes that actually overlap? It's certainly really worthwhile to try to have that consistency in what's mm. reported. And, and it can be a frustration for clinicians as well, dipping into the research and seeing things reported mm. in a different way and um, um, heterogeneous findings and yep. and um, that lack of a yes, no answer on what they should do. So yeah. it's really and, useful. And, and, and it also trickles down to patients because patients uh, suffer because they don't get the benefit of pulled, pulled data to actually guide what we do with them. Right, so my final question is where to from here for the ICON group, but for the research in general, and for those listening who may not have read this study before, um, what are what other related studies should they be should they know about should they read and we can pop all of these in the video or show description as well so people can link to them yep yep uh so basically there were three groups in the initial initial consensus work uh three studies three outputs one the domain study that we've just talked about the second one was about clinical terminology so it was about should we call it tendinopathy or should we call it tendinitis which i know is one of your favorite uh terms luke um, that's right so I always like to um, to irritate Pete by calling it tendonitis in the corridor. Yeah, you said you me your little... He doesn't get irritated easily, so I try, I try though. <laughs> um, so, so sort of deciding what we should call it is the second one. The third one was about... Um, uh, reporting uh, characteristics. So, if you're doing a if you're doing a study on tendinopathy patients, uh, what you should what you should really report, i.e., the age of the participants, uh, the gender, uh, comorbidities, etc., and that and that really helps for us to synthesise as well. But the next stage, and what we're all working on now, is we've all got the same groups so we've got you know the Achilles subgroup the patella the shoulder the elbow and over the next year or two we'll all uh, contribute with core outcome sets so we're going to come out with a core outcome set the Achilles group where we're going to be able to say okay for Achilles tendinopathy we should really be using these outcomes these are good outcomes to use um, so that that's following a process called OMERACT which is um, uh, basically a rheumatology group which first started creating what they call core outcome sets and that is the core outcomes we should be measuring it's so a there's really some discussion in the uh, there's some um, explanation of that in the discussion of the paper as well for those yeah. who are interested yeah exactly yeah but that's sort of what the future uh, holds I guess and there's some flow down effect from of this from the research to clinicians who are implementing the research to patients to improve outcomes because there's nothing more frustrating than going to the literature as a clinician and seeing uh, that there isn't sufficient evidence or there's contradictory evidence or that different outcome measures have been used in different ways. And we mm. can't get a, a quick conclusion because clinicians are very busy and they mm. want answers and they want to be able to use evidence and not do a PhD on every topic that they look up. And mm. so work like this, from this group is really important. So it's important for people to know that it's it's not just research for the sake of, sake of research, it will flow down to better patient outcomes. And you're, when you see a clinician, they'll be able to go to these recommended measurements or, or questions or areas and be able to focus on those, but also be guided by 
you as the patient or by them by their own clinical experience i think that's really important but it's it was, it was good to have a chat about it for me from someone who hasn't who hasn't been involved in such a consensus statement group and good to hear about it yeah i just thought of a really good um uh, scoping review topic when you were talking then yeah um when you said how frustrating it is for people because they um, you know, clinicians, because they just, you know, read a systematic review, it has no conclusions. Wouldn't it be good to do a scoping review um, more for entertainment purposes than anything else, but uh, to scope out uh, how many times the term more research needed is used in systematic reviews and how many times the term we were unable to uh, pull data because of heterogeneity is used? I think they must be the most, um, you know, uh, the most common terms in systematic reviews. It's one of those studies that you, when you read it, you think, how did that, how did they have time to do that? Or how did that get funded? But <laughs> it uh, has it a guess that it's been used way too many times. And part yeah. of the, what the work you're trying to do here is to streamline and get consistency yeah. in how research is conducted and reported. So. Yeah, yeah, really interesting. So I reckon we wrap it up there. Thanks everyone for listening and stay tuned for another episode soon and we'll see you online and hopefully soon face-to-face. -face. Thank you very much, everyone.